turn our Bibles for our sermon today. It's 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And we will be looking at verses 16 through 20 this morning. Hear the word of our Lord, 2 Corinthians 5, beginning in verse 16. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, The new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. This is our God's holy word. Let's pray for his blessing. Oh God, we thank you for your word Your word is true. Your word is pure, like silver refined in a furnace. Thank you that you speak to us. We pray, Lord, that we would hear you, that this message of reconciliation would come as if it is coming directly from you. And we pray for your spirit to teach us and to work in our hearts to show us how we might live for you. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. I want you to imagine a young man named Rich. Rich grew up in church, and he loved going to church. He loved the hymns, learning in Sunday school, reading his story Bible. And when he was six years old, his pastor preached a sermon about the death of Christ that really touched his heart. And so after that sermon, he walked forward to the pastor. The pastor told him to pray a sinner's prayer, and so he did. And then a few weeks later, Rich was baptized. As a boy going to church, he then would go to Awanas and memorize lots of Bible verses. When he became a teenager, he went to youth group, even led one of the youth group Bible studies, and he was a good kid. He didn't do all the rebellious teenager things. He didn't do all those things that all the other youth youth group kids were doing. And then he uh, went off to college. Still, even in college, he didn't do all the crazy uh, partying and wild things that many people do in college. He was a good kid, uh, got a good education, Uh, lived a clean life. 
And then after college, he continued to live a very good and moral life. Got a good job, found a woman to marry who likewise was a nice, respectful, moral woman, and Rich started his own family. The thing is, though, that uh, around those times when he went off to college, he began to not speak much about Christ. Uh, He believed that he had been saved many years ago, and he tried to live a good moral life and follow Christ's teachings in the Bible, the golden rule. But Christ just didn't make that much of a difference to him once he became an adult. He started going to church when he was in college, or he kept going to church, but, but his attendance maybe wasn't every week, and so he started to go less and less. And so if you had asked Rich, are you a Christian? He would say, yes, I believe in Jesus. I seek to follow Christ, and after all, I was baptized when I was six years old. Well, when Rich was 30 years old, he uh, tragically got into a car accident and he died. And so Rich's soul immediately went to heaven. And at his funeral, the pastor who had baptized him, where his family was from, uh, did the funeral. The pastor said the same kind of things. Rich was a great kid, a good person. I remember baptizing Rich when he was six. And so we can be confident, he said, that Rich is in heaven. And his parents had confidence that Rich, too, had gone to heaven. But when Rich's soul appeared before God at the judgment seat, he heard words that brought terror. He heard God say, I never knew you. And Rich pulled out his resume. But Lord, I prayed the prayer. I was baptized when I was six. I've been a good kid all my life. I didn't do all the rebellious things. Check out my voting record, Lord. I only voted for people who uphold biblical morality. And the Lord said, I have never known you. And so Rich's soul was soon escorted to a place of eternal torment and darkness. So I wonder if you think that such a story is possible. Uh, I think that a story like that is probably more common than we want to admit or that we would realize. Rich was a nice kid, but he was not saved. Rich's problem was that he was outwardly righteous, but he had never been reconciled to God. He was nice, but he was not new. And this passage here tells us what it looks like to really be saved, to to be a true follower of Christ. And he tells us it's those two things. To be reconciled to God and to be a new creation. Paul is continuing to talk here about how the love of Christ constrains him, compels him to live and preach the way he does. And so he's been telling us about this love 
where Christ died. He died for all kinds of people. And then he started to go into the effects of the death of Christ. And that's what he's doing the rest of the chapter. Here's what happened when Christ died. We died, we who are in Christ. And then, we'll see in this passage, we become new creations and we are reconciled to God. So that's where we are in the context of what Paul is trying to tell us. And what we want to focus on today are these two effects of the death of Christ. You are a new creation if you are in Christ, and you are reconciled to God if you are in Christ. So let's look at these verses. First, in verses 16 and 17, he says, you are a new creation. I'll read it again. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. So in Christ, you are a new creation. Before we explain what that means, in verse 17, let's see the implication of that in verse 16. He's leading up to this. An implication of being new creations in Christ is that we regard no one according to the flesh. So in other words, when you look at someone, if they are in Christ, that's what you need to know about them. That's how you need to think about them. You don't regard them according to the outward things, according to the worldly perspectives and worldly standards. What matters is, are they in Christ? And the same with someone who does not have Christ. You do not regard them according to the flesh, but you need to regard them as someone who is out of Christ. To regard someone according to the flesh means that you evaluate them based on their outward appearance, based on things like their class or their skin color or their education or their social status or their wealth or their power. So we do not regard people according to things that we see on the outside. Paul says, uh, from now on, and so he's implying for us that he used to do this. Before he was a Christian, he would look at people, and that's how he would evaluate them. Uh, We see him talking about himself in Philippians 3, when he talks about how he put confidence in the flesh, and then he gives us this list. I'm a Jew. I'm the, I'm the special people of God because of my ethnicity, he's saying. I'm of the tribe of Benjamin. I'm a Pharisee. I've got more education than all of you people. So I'm better than you because of my education and my ethnicity. That's what Paul said. But now he's saying, that was all rubbish. I, I left that all behind so that I might gain Christ. And so now... Put more confidence in my flesh. I don't look at people by their fleshly standards, but I regard them through Christ. Then he also says he used to regard Christ this way. As a Jew, Paul was looking for the Messiah. And he would look at Jesus Christ and he would say, this guy 
is from the backwaters of Galilee. This guy is a carpenter. This guy, uh, according to Isaiah, he has no form or majesty that we should desire him. And Paul should have taken the hint that Isaiah prophesied that, but instead Paul said, this guy could not be king. He's scrawny. He's, he doesn't look like a, a powerful ruler. This guy was crucified. I mean, look at this, this, this carpenter from Galilee hanging on a cross. And you're going to tell me that's the Messiah? This is the king of the world? No way. That's what Paul said before he knew Christ. And so he was regarding Christ based on all the things that he could see with his eyes, based on all these worldly standards. But then through faith, he recognized that Jesus truly was the Savior. So, we are to regard no one according to the flesh. The world loves to do this. We make a big deal out of the way people look. We make a big deal out of people who have power and wealth. We even have today in our secular society this this thing called intersectionality, which you've probably heard about, you might know about. It's all about pegging people based on their identities. And your identity defines you and your oppression or your privilege. And so people like me, they call me a WASP. I'm a white Anglo-Saxon Protestant. That's what WASP stands for. And I'm a male. And so even though you don't know anything about me, you can peg who I am. I'm an oppressor. I'm abusive because I'm a WASP and I'm a male. And so they regard everyone according to these fleshly, worldly identities. But it should not be for those who are Christians. We regard no one according to the flesh. Do you struggle to regard people according to the flesh? Maybe for you, it's, it's in the area of politics. You see somebody, you know somebody, and, and you know they're a liberal. And so you, you, you categorize them as liberals, and so you want to own the liberals. And you just want to tear them down, and you just want to argue with them. And so your concern is that that person's a liberal. Your concern is not that person is outside of Christ. And so Paul says, don't, don't put people in the box of only thinking about them that way, according to their politics. Think about them according to how Christ would see them. What about this situation? Um, let's imagine. I, I think this kind of thing will probably happen at some point. Let's imagine a, a man comes into our church and we can all tell, uh, let's just say that he had tried a transition, if you know what I mean. So he comes into our church and he says, well, I, I watched some Paul Washer sermons online and then I was trying to find a good church and I watched you guys on the live stream and, and as I was watching these sermons on the internet, God saved me and I've become a new creation and I'm coming to this church because I need your help. I want to know what to do now in following Christ. 
So are we as a church all going to stare at this odd person? Because you can tell that they look odd. Are we always going to judge them and, and think about them and talk about them as the person who did that thing? The person who is that kind of guy? Or will we regard them as new creations? This person is now in Christ. And so, Paul goes on. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. So we don't regard them according to the flesh. Now, what does it mean to be a, a new creation? Well, first, notice the word anyone. Anyone who can come to Christ, anyone who is in Christ, becomes a new creation. As in anyone, no matter what they are on the, on the flesh, on the outside, anyone can be this new creation if they are coming to Christ. Now, what does this mean? Well, um, in verse 17, the, the literal Greek doesn't have those is words, is and he is. So literally what it would say is, if anyone in Christ, new creation. Anyone in Christ, new creation. And so, I think Paul is just telling us more than just that a person becomes a new creation. He's talking also about the new creation of the whole world. Anyone in Christ, new creation. Once you belong to Christ, once you are made new, you become part of this new creation of what God is doing. Paul makes a reference to Isaiah 43 in the second part when he says, The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And Isaiah is talking about the new creation of the world. And in Revelation 21, which is also referencing the same place in Isaiah, Jesus says, Behold, I make all things new. Again, talking about the world. Jesus has come to make all things new. And so once you are in Christ, you are part of this great new creation. You have, as chapter 5 has already said in verse 5, you have the Spirit as a down payment, already as the, the guarantee that you're going to be part of the new creation and that your physical body is going to be renewed. You already have, as chapter 4 has been saying, an eternal weight of glory being prepared for you. You already have the inner man being renewed for you day by day. You are part of the new creation already. Well, he is saying that, but then implied in that is the fact that you personally are a new creation. Every person who comes to Christ becomes a new person. As he said a few verses ago, you die. Your old person dies, and then a new person comes alive. So here's the question that, that all of us need to think about. Here's a question especially for those of you who are kids. You kids, you want to be a Christian. Uh, you're wondering, what does it mean to be a Christian? What does that look like? Here's the question you need to ask. Am I 
new. Have I been made a new creation? The church is for sheep. Jesus is the good shepherd of the sheep. Many people are goats. Without Christ, you're a a goat. And so salvation is being transformed from a goat to a sheep. But the problem that a lot of people have is that they want to stay goats. And they want to put on a sheep costume because they really want to think that they're sheep and they want others to think that they're sheep. So they want to look like sheep, but still on the inside, they want to be goats. But if you're a goat, you're not new. And so you're not saved. Many church problems are because of the fact that goats get into the church looking like sheep. They act like Christians. They say that they're Christians. Then they start acting like goats. They start biting. And then they become deacons and elders and get on church boards and church committees and they start making decisions for a church. And all of a sudden, the church is acting just like the world because it's being led by goats, not by sheep. And so what we need is to be new creations. And if you're wondering why in our church, why are we so careful about things like who takes the Lord's Supper, who can be a member, who gets baptized, it's because we want to make sure, first of all, that you're not confused, that you're not deceived. You don't think that you're a sheep when you're actually not but also for the good of the church. The sheep is made up of, the church is made up of the sheep. So a new creation is someone whose view of the world is completely changed because of Christ. Your life changes. Your desires change. You desire to know God. You desire to get rid of your sin. You desire to grow in Christ. You desire his word. You desire to hear his word preached. You desire to be part of his church and to be part of fellowship and to be challenged and to serve others and bless others. All of these desires are not natural to goats. You need to be changed. When you're changed, you hate the things that God hates. You hate sin and you love the things that God loves. You love Christ. You love his people. You love his church. If you're struggling and you don't know, am I a goat or a sheep? Am I really a new creation? Uh, Obviously, you can come talk to me or one of the pastors. But I also recommend 1 John. The, The letter 1 John is all about how can I know if I am born of God? And so read that. Study it. Think about what it says. But I also want to encourage new creations if you are a Christian. This truth that you're a new creation should be really encouraging to you. I feel like, I I could be wrong, but I feel like sometimes in in our world, we like to focus on the the tea of of tulip 
and we like to focus on total depravity. And so we walk around, oh, I'm such a, a failure, I'm such a loser, I can't do anything right, because I'm just depraved in everything that I do. Well, total depravity is true, but it's also true that in Christ you are a new creation. And total depravity, by the way, doesn't mean that you're always walking around doing as horrible things that you could imagine. Okay, so, so you can still do good things. <laughs> you can do good actions. And in Christ, you are new. And so because of depravity, we should be watchful over our hearts. We should realize that we are capable of evil, but we should also be hopeful Watchful, but hopeful. Hopeful that I can change. Hopeful that I can overcome my sin. So sometimes I feel that in, in our world, we don't have that expectation or hope that we can actually overcome sin. But Romans 8.13 says, You must put to death sin if you will live. And so God has given us the power by the Spirit to put sin to death. I don't believe that you will achieve perfection of never having any sin ever again. But I do believe that you can put certain sins to death. And you might kill one, and you'll find ten others that you'll have to kill. But you can kill that one according to Romans 8.13, because you are a new creation. I believe that that's encouraging. If we can't kill our sin, then we would despair. What's the point of even trying? I'm always going to be a sinner. I'm totally depraved. There's nothing I do that matters anyways. Put sin to death because you're new. And God has given you his spirit to put sin to death. So, Christians, remember, you are a new creation. Second, we need to remember that we are reconciled to God. And that's in verses 18 to 20. Paul says in verse 18, All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. We can be reconciled. This is a word that only Paul uses to describe salvation. The specific idea of being reconciled to God. It's another angle to look at what happens when we are saved. Uh, the basis of our salvation is justification, that we are declared righteous in Jesus Christ. His work, and especially on the cross, is credited to us. That's justification. And Paul even mentions that when he says God doesn't count our sins against us. That's justification. And because of justification, then we can be reconciled. And so reconciliation has to do with a relationship. We talk about that as relationships, like marriages, friendships, being reconciled. 
Chris, uh, at the beginning of the month, he used this image of a judge with adoption. The judge for justification declares you not righteous, uh, uh, not guilty, but righteous. And then, if he wants to adopt you, the judge says, you are my heir. You have a room in my house. And if we're going to use that same image, we could say that the judge says, you're righteous. And then he says to you, I also want to be your friend. What are your plans for dinner? So it's not quite the blessing of adoption, but it's a step to adoption, to be friends, to be reconciled. So this is the truth of reconciliation. The holy God, before whom the seraphim bow down, says, I want to be your friend. The Bible says that Abraham was a friend of God. Psalm 25 says, The friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him. Remember, we know the the fear, the terror of the Lord, and yet because of Christ, this holy God can be our friend. Notice also here that Reconciliation is always God taking the initiative. We are always the ones being reconciled, and God is always the one doing the reconciling. God, verse 18, reconciles us to himself through Christ. God is the offended one. God's the one who, whose law we have broken. We have sinned against him, and and we have hostility towards him. The, The mind of the flesh is hostile to God, the Bible says. And yet God, instead of responding in judgment, says, I want to be reconciled to you. I'm going to come to you and get rid of that hostility. And so he gets rid of that hostility through Jesus Christ. We are going to get a verse 21. Uh, next next week, Lord willing. But we see here in verse 18 and 19, reconciliation comes through Jesus Christ. Christ was the substitute. So Christ experienced the rejection of God. Because the rejection... For the hostility towards God is what we deserved. When Christ was on the cross bearing the wrath of God, he was experiencing the, the punishment for hostility. We were the enemies, and so Christ was treated as the enemy. Christ was treated as the rejected one. So that we would not be treated that way. But that we instead could be reconciled. It's a painful thing to be rejected by others. Maybe you have experienced the breaking of relationships in family, in friends, and it's painful. But we can remember, not only has Christ experienced rejection for us, 
but also that now because of Christ, God will never make us experience that with him. Our God is reconciled to us because of Christ. Friends may fail me. Foes assail me. But Jesus is a friend for sinners. Well, now how can we be reconciled? How does what Christ has done come to us? It's through the ministry of the word. In verse 18, Paul says that God gave him the ministry of reconciliation. And in verse 19, he says, God entrusted to him the message of reconciliation. And then he says this in verse 20. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ. Be reconciled to God. So Paul calls himself here an ambassador. And it's through the ambassador that you hear the message of reconciliation so that you can be reconciled to God. Uh, we're pretty familiar with ambassadors. Our, our government has, has those all across the world. Uh, so it's similar to what Paul is talking about. Uh, the ambassador goes to another country representing the government. In 2021, uh, I think, uh, there was the Winter Olympics in China, and the United States sent no ambassadors to the Olympics because they were trying to make a statement, we do not support the government of China. And so what the ambassador does or doesn't do represents the government. A couple months ago, there's this thing called the World Cup. For those of you who don't know soccer or football, it's, it's the tournament for soccer. And it was in Qatar. And so that's a Muslim nation. People had all kinds of issues that it was a, in a Muslim nation. And so the German ambassador was very critical of the government of Qatar. And so that wasn't, that wasn't a good thing for Germany. Because she wasn't just sharing her opinions. She's the ambassador. If she speaks and criticizes a government... The whole nation of Germany is represented in criticizing the government. So Paul says, I represent Christ. I speak on behalf of Christ. So Paul, as an ambassador, he travels around the world. Sometimes people like what he says and sometimes people don't like it. But still his job is to give the message of the king. Now, in, in the Roman Empire, it was usually the inferior nation that would go to the greater king, and the role of the ambassador was usually to beg for mercy or ask for help. Please stop taxing us so much. Please send us money because we're in a famine. And so they would always go to the Roman emperor and beg for help. But here... Look what Paul says. God makes his appeal through the ambassador. We're the nobodies. We're the enemies. We're hostile to God. And yet the great king wants to send a messenger with an important message to say, not, please help me. I want to be reconciled to you. No, he says, 
I have something that you need to know. I have a gift for you. You can be reconciled to God. So I'm making my appeal through my ambassador. I sent him to you so you can know how to be reconciled. So we are ambassadors for Christ. Even as Christians, you're not an apostle, but you still can speak for Christ and represent him. And when you speak, be encouraged that God is making his appeal through you. And when you get rejected, they're not rejecting you. They're rejecting the God who sends the message. We are ambassadors for Christ. But Paul is an ambassador making his appeal to the Corinthians. And so we can't finish today uh, without you hearing God's appeal to you. First of all, if you're a Christian, as Paul is speaking to Christians for the most part in Corinth, he tells them in verse 20, be reconciled to God. And the King James, be ye reconciled, all of you, is what he's saying. And so even if you're a Christian, God today has a message. Be reconciled to God. Have you sinned against him this week? Have you sinned against him yesterday? Have you sinned against him this morning? Well, even now, God says, though that sin brings hostility between me and you, it separates you from your God, yet I am taking initiative here, God says, and I want to forgive you of your sins. I've done everything necessary through Jesus Christ. He has borne the sin that that you deserve to pay for, and instead you can be reconciled to me. So come to me. Doesn't matter how many times you've failed I'm still making my appeal to you, God says. It doesn't matter how many times you've promised that you're going to change. That's not the condition that I've offered you here. I've said to you, come to me. Be reconciled to me. And so, if you are a Christian, this is God's message for you. For this morning, he doesn't want to tell you how frustrated he is with you. He doesn't want to tell you how annoying you are because you keep sinning against me, against you. He wants you to say, he wants, he wants to say to you, I want to be friends. Come, let's be friends. And then if you're here and you're not following Christ and you are not a new creation, God has the same message. It's Paul's message to everyone in the world as he traveled around. Be reconciled to God. If you're here today, God says to you what he said through Ezekiel. I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but I would rather that you would turn from your wicked way and live. So why would you die? That's what God says to you. Why would you die? 
Why would you walk out of here and choose an eternity of condemnation under God because that's what your sins deserve when God himself is making an appeal to you today to be reconciled to him? And God says to you that he has done everything in Christ. Christ has died. Christ has borne the punishment for sinners. Why would you reject that? Be reconciled to God. God wants you to be made new. You know how you know that? Because you're here. You could have had a thousand reasons to not be here. And there could have been a thousand scenarios where we were talking about a different verse today. But God brought you here to hear the words of verse 20. Be reconciled to God. And so God is making his appeal directly to you. Come to Christ today. We're going to conclude with singing a song, uh, hymn number 694. You can turn there in your hymnals. And this is God speaking. These are not words of scripture, but God is calling all of us to come to him. And these words, come home. Jesus is calling you to come to him. Be reconciled to him. So as we can remain seated, let's sing together number 694.